Thank you, Tammy. Uh, so as we were as we were getting ready for this week, Tammy and I had a conversation. She said, uh, so I'm going to be sitting in my living room playing guitar and singing to no one. And I said, exactly. It's going to be lots of fun. Uh, I was like, don't worry, though. Bill will be there. So that's great. Um, but that'll be, that'll be really great. The, uh, and I said, well, it makes you feel any better when I start talking, I'm going to be in a room by myself looking at a camera as well. So that is, uh, that's a little bit of fun that we're having. So guys, we made it. We're here. We are the week before Easter, uh, getting all those, uh, things kind of going, getting ready for the resurrection of Christ. Um, I do have good news for you and also bad news. The good news is that I only have one page of notes. The bad news is it's on an iPad and they don't actually break the pages. So it could be like 30 pages here. You don't know. So, you know, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> I, I really want to just thank a couple of people right now who make this happen. Uh, first off, I want to recognize Tammy. Tammy has an amazing heart to serve with what God has put into her life. And I, I just see God doing some great things with her in the future. It's going to be, it's going to be pretty great. I'm very excited about that. Um, I also want to thank Scott. Scott is making a lot of things happen during this time that would not happen if he wasn't there. And so we just want to give Scott a lot of um, attention. And then Pastor Sid, you're doing a lot with reaching out to different people and uh, just kind of keeping us together during this time. So um, I want to jump in here and I want to talk about there's a, there's a lot of fear and confusion in the world right now specifically around the coronavirus, but also, you know, we talk about the economy, we talk about uh, just everything on top of our normal fears that we have in the world. And there's a lot of fear and confusion, but we as a church are called to rise above that and be different. Um, Pastor Sid has been talking about how we're called to be salt and light, uh, to, get, to engage the community. When we engage in faith, we engage in faith over fear doesn't mean that we don't have fear, but our faith supersedes our fear and it drives who we are. And while we don't deny the circumstances around us, we don't let them have a place of influence in our emotional, physical, and spiritual state. We instead hold on to Christ and we listen to the word as the spirit leads us. So with that in mind, oh, I just saw a little comment on here. It says, we love you, Uncle Ben, from my, my niece. I love that. Um, so with that in mind, I want to talk to you about an experience I had a few months ago that has really been reshaping how I interact with those people who are around me. Um, a few months ago, I woke up from my sleep. It was about three o'clock in the morning and I had the name Sennacherib on my lips. Now, mind you, that's a very strange name to have on your lip, lips. So I woke up and I'm like Sennacherib. Now it's three o'clock in the morning, so I'm not exactly thinking clearly, so I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'm hungry and I want a snack. And my brain doesn't know how to say snack. But luckily, I thought for longer than two seconds in the middle of the night. And I thought, man, I swear that I've heard that name before. So then I realized that it was a name out of the Old Testament. It was a name from the Bible. And uh, so I went up and started looking at the passages. And I realized that it was the king who had been attacking Israel in the days of the king Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was the king of Judah. Israel had split into two kingdoms at that point. There was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And I may have, I may have flipped those. And sorry about that if I did. Um, and Hezekiah was a king during that time. And he had turned Judah from its path that it was on. And he returned to the path that God had laid out before them, 
There's a lot more to that story, and I highly encourage you to read into it. It's actually why I've included uh, the scripture references in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah in the bulletin, because there's an incredible story of um, a nation humbling themselves before God and God turning the tide in their favor. But Sennacherib was the king. He had come in and he had just laid waste to Israel. And now they were, they were out to captivity. They were taken out. He was king of Assyria. And uh, he, was, he was coming and he was attacking Judah, but God had delivered them from Sennacherib. And, um, and, he had, and he had just turned him away and sent him back. So I took a few minutes. I read all the references about Sennacherib while I was blinking. I thought, well, why is this important? I was like, can't be Kansas waiting until the morning. But as God does, I had a still small voice in my heart that said, no, I can't wait till the morning. There's something important for you to hear now. So I read on. So I took a look at who Sennacherib was and where he came from. And when I did that, I realized exactly why I needed to dig deeper. See, because Sennacherib was a king of a city called Nineveh from the Assyrian Empire. So why is that city important? Well, it drove me to the book of Jonah. And it started to change my perspective completely on what was going on in the book of Jonah. See, at the time of Sennacherib and Jonah, um, Jonah, the nation of Israel had been divided into two different kingdoms, Judah and Israel. Israel had been invaded by the Assyrians and completely conquered, whereas Judah was delivered, as noted above, but uh, in the story of Hezekiah. Now, this is a fantastic story from the Old Testament, but we won't be talking about it today. But essentially, Sennacherib starts thinking it's because of him and his power and his ability that all the nations around him are falling to and God. And ultimately he says, he says, listen, your God can't stop me, but the people repent and uh, God defeats Sennacherib's army after Judah repents. And around this time of history, Jonah shows up to the scene as a prophet in the land of Israel. So we enter the book of Jonah. So I'm going to be talking through the book of Jonah. I highly encourage that you read it, but I'm going to be kind of paraphrasing because there's four chapters as we're going along. In the beginning of the book, God comes up to Jonah. He says, get up on your feet, go, to your, go on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them because they're in a bad way and I can't ignore them any longer. And of course, Jonah, being a prophet of God, jumps in a boat and he heads out to, and he guesses, he goes to Tarshish. Now, you may not know this, but Tarshish is exactly the opposite way of Nineveh. And you say, well, wait, what are you doing? Jonah, you're a, you're a prophet of God. Where do you think you're going? What could possibly be driving you to Tarshish instead of where you're supposed to be going, where the will of God is taking you? And I've heard a lot of sermons and I've heard a lot of commentary on this passage, yet none have really satisfied me to my core of what God is saying here and the way that Jonah responded. Now, though, unlike all those times, I had I had just been in this book and I, I, I was coming equipped with knowledge about Sennacherib and Assyria before I ever got into this. See, Nineveh was an Assyrian city and Israel had just been conquered by the Assyrians. Now, God came to Jonah and he said, essentially, go preach to these people because I don't want to wipe them out, but I can't ignore them any longer. Now, that's my paraphrase. So why is that a big deal? Because the people that Jonah was called to go and talk to and preach to had just wiped out his family. They just wiped out his friends. They just wiped out his countrymen and the land that he loved and the land that he grew up in. Because now it was different. So now I wasn't pondering. I wasn't wondering. I now understood the position of Jonah on a visceral level. Imagine that your family was murdered by a terrorist cell. Let's just say ISIS because they're in the news a lot. 
And a couple of weeks later, God comes to you and he says, I need you to go and preach to ISIS so that they repent because I don't want to wipe them out, but I can't ignore their sin anymore. Then I had to ask the question of where would your heart be at that moment? Because I know where mine might be. I might say something along the lines of, God, are you kidding me? Do you know what they just did? Do you realize what they took from me? Do you realize the pain that they caused me? I get that you're all love and mercy, but why in the world would you ask me to do this? Why wouldn't you, don't you send someone else who didn't just get their heart ripped out of their chest? Why, why them? And why now? So I had to ask myself the question of where would my boat actually be headed? Would it be headed to Nineveh or would it be headed to Tarshish? And I think that's a good question for all of us today. And I want you to hold on to that thought and we get back into the story. So Jonah is in the boat and he's headed to Tarshish. And it says in the book of Jonah that God sent a storm and it was breaking apart their ship and everyone was crying out to their God for relief and trying to save the ship, which makes sense. When you, everything around you is falling to pieces, you cry out to anyone and anything that can save you. Meanwhile, while this is going on, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship to take a nap. Really? Listen, I love a good nap. Like naps are fantastic. I, I, they're, they're God-breathed gifts from heaven. Like naps are fantastic. But there's a storm happening and you think, hey, you know what? I'm going to go take a nap. What are you up to, Jonah? And it's like Jonah looked at the storm, stared at it, knew who sent it and said, no, nice try, God. I'm going to go take a nap, get someone else. Now, I would be frustrated with Jonah's reply, but at the same time, I kind of get it. God is too much. Why would you ask me to do this? Most of us know the story, but in case you don't, eventually Jonah is woken up by the rest of the crew, and he tells them that if they throw him overboard, they'll be fine, which they do, and the ship survives, and all the boat believes in the Lord, which I think is an amazing thought, and I think that it, it definitely deserves our attention, but we're going to talk about it another time. But while in the water, Jonah is swallowed up by a big fish and he spends three days in there and he, quote unquote, learns his lesson before he spit up on the land and heads to Nineveh, the way that God had commanded him to to begin with. Now, it's interesting to note at this point that uh, Jonah is on his way to Nineveh and the Bible actually notes that Nineveh is such a great city that it would literally take three days to walk through. It's a pretty big city. Yet, it also notes in the text that Jonah walked in one day's journey. Did you catch that? It takes three days to walk through. He walked through one day's journey. He didn't even walk halfway into the city. Then he preached his message. Then he left. Not only did he leave, he went up on the hillside and he sat down in a sulk and he waited for God to strike down Nineveh and just rain down fire on him. And that's Jonah waiting for God to dish out judgment. It's nearly certain, right? I mean, this city is doomed. You might as well have a good view of judgment. How is he supposed to know that an entire city would respond to his message and repent? And yet, that's exactly what happens. The whole city, including animals, which is the fun little addition in the text, wrapped themselves in sackcloth and they repented. That's insane. Like, that's crazy. One of the worst cities in the world has been turned on its head by a half-hearted message from a disgruntled prophet. Like, just sit in that for a moment. An entire city repents on a half-hearted message from a disgruntled prophet. 
But then we come back to Jonah at the end of the, of the story, and he's hanging out on this hill, and he has had it. He makes a statement. He says, God, I knew it when I was back home. I knew this was going to happen. It's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew that you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. Whew. Harsh, right? I thought so as well. And it's something that I thought about for a really long time. I was like, God, what are you talking about in this story? Like, what is, what is the piece that you want me to pull from this? And the word potential came out. Um, I want to I credit Marty Solomon, who uh, actually uses this word to look back on the story of Jonah in his, in his podcast. Um, but what is it about potential that I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to figure out? What was God trying to say to me? So many times we are Jonah. We have our eyes set on one thing. And in the midst of this, we miss a profound truth from God in the middle of the ugly. Potential is in each and every one, every person that we see, regardless of what we see on the outside. So what does that mean, you ask? Think about the worst pe people you can imagine. The rapists, the murderers, the liars, the cheaters, or just what you would call those people. Think about those people who have wronged you on a level that is unforgivable and unacceptable. Those people, those people, they have potential. They have the potential to completely change the world around them. They have life. They have truth. They have possibility inside of them that has yet to be tapped into. Have they done wrong? Absolutely. Are they on the wrong side of eternity? Yes, they are. Of course. Does that make them lose their potential? No, because it's not dependent on us. Here's the crazy thing. God looks at the most despicable messes and he says, I can fix that. There's potential there. To which we say, what? Are you, are, are you kidding me? Potential where? He says, everywhere. You just have to have the right eyes to see it. Sometimes he wants you to use the eyes that are looking back at you in the mirror when you feel like you're worthless. God looks at you and he says, I see potential. Sometimes in our jobs, sometimes in our jails, amongst our relatives, amongst our friends, or with anyone we would consider to be out, God says, I see potential. Jonah couldn't see it in Nineveh. And to be honest, probably couldn't see it in himself. He missed out on an amazing move of God because he couldn't move on from his hurt and his need for justice. An entire city. We're going to note it's 120,000 plus people. An entire city repentant turns, and he couldn't see it because of his hurts. Here's a very hard truth that is, I can't see potential in myself. I'm never going to see it in someone else. 
So I want to I want to encourage a couple of things here. Uh, is when you are looking in the mirror today and you look at yourself, staring back, you take a second and speak out loud and ask God, "Where is the potential that you see in me?" Because it's there and it's begging to get out and transform your life like a whirlwind. And after that, ask, "Where is the potential that's all around me that I've never seen?" Walk into your normal life. I know it's not really normal right now, but as normal as our life is, and look around. Put on God's eyes and see the potential of those around you. God closes the book of Jonah with a dialogue specifically addressed to Jonah. He makes a statement. He says, why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong. Why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? Maybe, just maybe, if our minds not like God, we could put the world back together. Maybe, just maybe, if we had his eyes, we would see what he sees, and maybe that would change everything. So why does this matter? I'm sure that some of you have already had some conclusions that are coming in. What's the point? What do we do with this now that we have it? There's a couple of points that I really want to uh, just have sit with you in your heart. The first is that we, God's people, we're chosen. Jonah didn't choose to be a prophet. He didn't choose to go to Nineveh. God called him. God stepped him. God redirected him on his path. Now, a couple of caveats that does, doesn't mean that we can't say no. It does mean we miss out on what God is doing. And also from the story of Jonah, we learn that even if we do what God tells us, we can still miss out on what he's doing because we're focused on the wrong thing. We didn't choose God. He chose us. He predestined us before the foundation of the world. When we choose to follow him, it's long after he's chosen us and he is bringing us back to The next thing I'd like for us to just take away from our, with our takeaway as we're uh, just thinking about this is that the potential that God has for your lives is in the lives of others as well, because the same spirit who brings about the righteousness of, of God in you is capable about, of bringing about the same righteousness in everyone around you. That includes the people we dislike, the people we can't forgive, the people we disagree with, and the people who are wrong. Man, that's a hard one. Like, because when people are wrong, you're just like, but no, God sees potential there. And the same spirit that changed your life can change that. You know, I can't change them. Your wisdom. But God can. The third thing is that we are salt and light. Continuing the thought of what Pastor Sid has been talking about for weeks. I would propose that in the teachings of Jesus, being salt and light are about bringing illumination to a dark world and bringing out the flavor in light. In Isaiah 31, it says this, See, a king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be a shelter from, a, from the wind and a refuge from the storm. Like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land, then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. 
the fearful heart will know and understand, and the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. A king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind. Each one a refuge from the storm. Each one like streams of water in the desert, and each one like the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. And then the eyes of those who see will be will no longer be closed, and the ears of those who hear will listen. The fearful heart will know and understand, and the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. It's important to meet needs. It's important to love for the sake of loving. It's important to preach the gospel, and it's important to bring the spirit with you wherever you go. This is not an either or, it is a both and. I'll say that again, it's not an either or, it's a both and. To focus on one and ignore the other distorts the message. How this is lived out in your life is going to be a specific to your call. It's not going to be specific to everybody. It's going to be specific to you. This is the tension that we're called to walk in, to do good and to preach the gospel. You should always be evaluating whether you are walking this out in tandem in your life. Finally, as we're getting ready to close, I want to talk about Easter and Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. We're entering Holy Week where we anticipate the celebration of Easter, the resurrection of Christ. With the resurrection, everything changed. And in our lives, we now have the potential to see and be something else entirely. In this Easter season, that you spend, just spend time with God, see who he is. And when you see that, understand who he has made you to be, where your potential is, and how you can be salt and light and join in the movement of redeeming a lost world to himself. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for seeing potential in us long before we can see it in ourselves. Lord, I pray that as we go and we just live our lives in the midst of this economy of fear right now, God, that you would help us to walk in faith and righteousness, Lord, bringing about the goodness of your creation, God illuminating the darkness, God, so that people can see they can have freedom from fear in this time of chaos. Lord, we pray over our community that you would continue to protect them. You would continue to draw them to you. God, that the entire city of Ketchikan would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.